Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to another episode of Choreographers of War, your one-stop source for all things Harlequins in the war-torn worlds of Warhammer 40,000. We are, as always, brought to you in combination with the official Harlequins Discord and the official Harlequin subreddit. I am your host, Batty, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Rob. Hey guys, Rob here. Uh, I hope you uh, like this new audio recording we're doing. I've uh, upgraded my mic, so hopefully it won't grate on anyone's ears anymore. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So today we are going to be finishing off and recapping off our Codex deep dive, our Codex review, as it were. A little late because we had a whole lot of, you know, a whole lot of news, a whole lot of stuff going on with the, with the data slate balance changes and everything going on with the game state as it was. But we're finally putting a cap on this, and we're going to talk about some of those changes that came through again as they relate to the Codex. So today we are going to be starting our discussion with our uh, uh, Warlord traits, correct? Yeah. Yeah, Warlord traits. All right. Awesome. So uh, the Apolis, them alphabetically. So we start with Harlequin Trait, a foot in the future. The warlord flows like starlight across the field of battle. This is a good one. I like it. Also, that's a really yeah. cool sounding, sounding like, like starlight. I love that. That's yeah. So. <laughs> All right. So what does it do? Well, each time this warlord advances... Do not make an advance roll. Instead, until the end of the phase, add D3 plus 3 inches to the move characteristic of the Warlord. So you just go... It, it's like the old... Uh, it's like 3 plus D3 damage, but it's 3 plus D3 yep. advance. Yeah. And this is... Super this is, great for skirting around the board. This is a great starter, because now we have to explain a bunch of complex rules because of the next part. Each time you make yep. a charge roll for this Warlord, you can add 6 to the results. Note, this does not mean you can charge something 18 inches away. In fact, Correct. it means if something is 12 point inch... 12 point one inches away, you can't even declare it still because it does not mm -hmm. change your charge declaration range. But what does it? How does this work? How would you describe your charge with this, Batty? Like, I mean, this effectively guarantees you a charge if you're within legal charging distance because you get your 2d6 charge and then just add six to it. So if you can mm -hmm. roll a six on two dice, you're hitting anything you need to charge into. Yep, and a six on 2d6 for reference is less. Oh, the cool thing though, you can still go more than 12 inches with your charge though. Yes. So let's say there's a big unit you declare on him. You roll box cars. You can go 18 inches to the back of the unit instead of mm -hmm. 12 inches to the front of the unit or 11. Because inches or in this example, the closest eligible model in that unit was still a legal charge target. Therefore, the whole unit is susceptible to being engaged. Yes, it's it's very odd. It is very odd, but there is lots of room for tricks here. Um, also, it can just make you go faster, like uh. Uh, we'll cover this in combos, but there's a way to get four fast-moving characters on turn one using this uh, Warlord trait for the fourth. Yeah. So, uh... Absolutely. Next Warlord Yeah, there's a couple trait. schools of thought in how people like to run this Warlord trait. Oh, yeah. You're going to talk about it a little more in depth when we get to it. But, um, you know, you, you personally like to put it on your Shadow Seer to allow her to keep up with the rest of your army. Some people, like myself, like to just put it on a Troop Master to kind of have, like, a baby Solitaire. Just, you know, another, like, super hyper-mobile, super, you know, Solitaire death wishes missile. he was that deadly. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, that's, that's fair, too. But, you know, like, there's a couple schools of thought in how people like to use this Warlord trait. I think they're all valid, and none is really correct over the other. It really kind of just boils down to what you want your playstyle to be and what holes and what minutia you want being filled in that list. Yeah, so the next one, this one, uh, I will... Uh, normally, we'd alternate here, but I'm going to read it because it's been FAQ'd. So I have mm -hmm. the exact text right here on my phone because I use the yep. app like a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> Favor of Kegarak. Not to be mistaken for favored 
of Kigarak. That is what lets you take a second warlord trait on generally your troop master, if they're your actual warlord warlord. Uh, uh-huh. So the fact that we have two very similarly named things is very annoying. But no one, <laughs> we had a lot of, conf- now everyone I think has agreed with my statement that we just call them favored no matter what. And we just use that yeah. for the warlord trait. Because you don't need mm-hmm. to like, ex- you just list two warlord traits if you're taking two. Like there's no confusion yeah. there. But we had mm-hmm. a lot of confusion when describing our list early on. And don't even get me started. And also, favored is hard to do an emoji for. So, you know. <laughs> Our emoji <laughs> list. I found the screenshot of that that I sent to a friend of mine, and I was cackling at work the other day because I completely forgot about that. I just love it. It's like light rose queen. You just put a star, a sun, a rose, yeah. and then like a little crown. Though, I mean, it's not perfect. It's like, how do you tell the queen from the king? But you really Well, there can are actually king and queen right- emojis. There are okay. Yeah, you don't have to just use the crown. There actually is like 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 a female presenting and a male presenting regal character. So yeah. Dane. Also, I love your verbiage there. Male presenting legal care regal character. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're not even they're not even royalty. They're just regal. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, favor of Kegarak. Once so this one uh, this one by the way is so good. Now, like you it put is. this on a troop master, and I thought it was a little underrated, and then I just kept brushing off like one wound every turn and staying alive to kill stuff, and it was the great. I loved it. My opponent hated it though, because I was playing a uh, soup, so it was like I had fate dice, but better mm. or luck. It was like I had fate dice. I had one fate dice for my troop master every turn. That's basically yeah. how it works. So favor of Kegarak to be possessed of supernatural fortune. It's a sure sign of Kigarak's favor. Once per turn, when you make a melee hit roll, a melee wound roll, or a saving throw for this warlord, after making the roll, you can treat the result as an unmodified roll of six instead. Note, re-rolls are rolls. So you get a, yes. you can potentially lock a dice, fail the luck, and then just be like, oops, six anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And you can yeah, it's a pretty niche scenario, because I can't imagine how often you're going to want to, like, voluntarily spend that CP just to do it anyway. But, like, I mean, I guess if you need to, because, like, if you want to try to, like, high roll and manipulate two dice, yeah. you spend the CP first to see if you hit it. And if you don't, oh, well, I'll use the fate dice anyway. I think, yeah, on saves or, uh, for example, on the, uh, I've done this on the uh, queen, rose queen, you reroll yeah. all your wounds. Oh, one of the wounds didn't reroll to five plus. It's a six now. Because mm-hmm. you already got rerolls to wound built in, so you're not even spending command points for that. It's just uh, you want to, you know, maximize your results, so you do the rerolls. No, first. for sure. So I know we talked about it briefly in a, a couple episodes now at this point, but you want to touch on how this changed recently with the data slate, and you know what what it means for our army and how we now take this warlord trait. Um. So alas, poor favorite harvester. I knew him well, but I I think it's mm-hmm. uh, your turn to do some talking. You uh you you explain to us what they did to my yeah, boy. Okay. I, okay, I enough, I'm yeah. too tearing so... up, man. Too <laughs> sad over this. So we talked about it a few times before that the the go to combo, the quintessential combo for favorite of Kegarak was to pair it with a harvester of torment death jester, allowing you to just get a plethora of damage from a from a, a shrieker cannon. 
Um, nowadays, since the data slate, you can no longer take... I mean, I guess you can take it on the Death Jester, but it doesn't affect ranged weapons anymore. It only works in melee. Previously, in ink and paper on the Codex, it was applied to any sort of hit, wound, and saving throw. Now it is only melee. Oh, so oh favor... but not for the saving throws. That's actually important, because you can you can shrug off pistols if they try to get cheeky with you. Yes, well, th that is true, yeah. But I mean, specifically <laughs> for the hit and the wound roll. Yes, but, the hit and wound roll. So, Unfortunately, the, the favored harvester is no more. But that being said, this is still a pretty pretty good warlord trait. Like, like you said, this is a very easy one to just tack onto a troop master to help secure and help you know reaffirm those extra wounds, especially when you're using queen, where you want to get through those five plus ignoring invulns. It, it's a really potent warlord trait to stick on a character, even now after its nerf. So yeah, Dark Horse really Queen loves it. it, and I think uh, mm -hmm. what is it the the light. Uh, the light sword king bill or the light, light sword queen, king. light storied queen actually I think might like okay, it as yeah. well because you want to combo yeah. it with queen to so you can use it offensively and defensively I think yeah and that's fair because you probably want those you know guaranteed sixes like we were saying for queen yeah and you know king wounds on twos anyway so what does it matter <laughs> exactly. But moving on to the final warlord trait in our uh, generic warlord slots, we have fractal storm. Which, all of these effectively start with F, I just noticed, you know, except for the A foot in the future, but, you know, they're all <laughs> uh, Fractal Storm says, each time an attack is made against this warlord, your opponent cannot reroll the hit, wound, or damage roll for that attack. So, I feel like the damage roll is a little more, less likely to be rerolled, but it's still nice. Mm -hmm. But yeah. hit and wound is very, very nice. You're potentially like... Oh, 100%. You charge this into the write-up, you charge this into Space Marines, and they get mad. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. so many things, you know, e even after the game changed where we had the implementation of core and we kind of kneecapped auras a little bit, there's still a lot of things in the game that like to re-roll hits and wounds. There's not a whole lot that intrinsically re-rolls its own damage, but you still turn off your opponent's ability to do so, even through CP, even through other shenanigans. Like in the mirror match, you know, if someone's putting a Void Weaver into something, they can't use their fate die or their luck dice to re-roll it. Yeah, know? Fractal Storm is, I think, very good on a Shadow Seer or a Death Rusher or a Troop Master. I've put it on a Troop Master, yeah. Similar to Favor, it can oftentimes leave you at one wound when you should be dead normally. And mm -hmm. exactly. then suddenly the opponent really doesn't like that. <laughs> yeah. Like it can get you uh, somebody alive in their uh, deployment zone, for example, and suddenly you're scoring three points off that. It's great. I, th I think you're spot on with the analysis that it really kind of fits on everyone because it makes death uh, death gestures really tanky and really sticky in your back mm -hmm. line for like when they're holding objectives like a or, fractal you know, someone... ghoul or uh, I like to do the oh star yeah I was just gonna say someone so that I can, uh... someone like your playstyle that likes to throw their death gestures forward it makes him that much stickier and that much harder to get rid of while he's doing all of those yeah you know accessory wounds for sure I like to do the starmist. Uh... Raymond instead, but it's a very similar effect to Fractal. So I actually, yeah. sometimes I'll do Fractal on one unit and Starmist Raymond on the other, so I can basically double up on almost the same effect. At least very similar defensive effects for And it's also important characters. to take a... It's important to take notice that we can... We'll touch on this another in a second when we get to uh, the Sadists and their... And their um, accessories but it's important to notice that we actually have the ability to take all four legal warlord traits our army can possess. Mm-hmm. So we can use every warlord trait this army has just by nature of our rules. 
Like, technically, if you play a large enough game, any army can use all their Warlord traits. But we can do it at I mean, 2k. granted. Yeah, we can do it at, at a standard 2,000-point game, because we only have four. You know, we have the ability to give other units Warlord traits and the ability to double up Warlord traits. So, super useful. Yeah, but remember, you can only double up on your actual Warlord. Um, yes. Which uh, is generally going to be your Troopmaster, unless you don't take a Troopmaster. Mm -hmm. So, there is some downside yeah. to that. But, uh... Yeah, so relics are uh, amazing. Um, we actually have probably the best relic pistol in the game. It's actually, I. Yep. the only problem is we have so many good relics, it's hard to justify putting in the relic yeah. pistol. It's not that it's yep. bad. Like you, fi I find myself often thinking, can I put Crescendo into this list? Right? Yes, but... Well, I absolutely love Crescendo. Should I? That becomes like, like oftentimes mm -hmm. I end up putting I or Ghoul. Like, I'm dark, I like to put Ghoul Mask in as like, to be cheeky. So, yeah. the, it's how you want to be cheeky. So, we'll get to that, though. So, uh, Kegarax Rose. Ooh, this one has a great, uh, or at least a very long flavor text. Kegarax Rose. Representing the barbed gift given in jest by the laughing god to the crone Moray Hag. Kegarax Rose contains thorned monofilaments of shadow silk, existing at the penumbra between real space and the labyrinth dimension. That's the webway. These shadow silk strands bypass even the thickest armor as though it did not exist. Once within the body of the victim, the rose's threads uncoil, a blossom of mo molecule-thin blades unfurling at the end of each. The foe is slain instantly as the thicket of bloody, bladed roses bloom within their chest. It's basically just a kiss on crack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> this is the kiss your Harlequin's kiss wishes it could be. And conveniently... Harlequin's model with Harlequin's kiss only. This relic mm -hmm. replaces a Harlequin's kiss and has the following profile. Melee. Strength 2, AP 2, damage 3. But this is the cool part. This is why it's all fancy. Each time an attack is made with this weapon, you can re-roll the wound roll. The bearer has the Harlequin's kiss keyword. So yeah. being able to re-roll your wound rolls is huge on strength 5 because that means realistically... You're wounding everything more than 50% of the time, unless yep. they have minus one strength. And then you're probably wounding them more than 50, because a reroll on a 5 plus is more than, is better than a 4 plus, if I remember right. Mm -hmm. So this is like, and uh, as we'll see with combos, this is just the key to certain combos. But uh, it also goes well with dark and yeah. light, because light gives it strength 6, dark gives it AP 3. It's our mm -hmm. only flat... So the downside is our stratagem specifically says no increase... For increasing damage, says you can increase it past three, and it's literally just yeah. for this weapon, pretty much. Yep, correct. Uh, because getting a troop master in there with, you know, six attacks, hitting with four, four flat damage is nutty. <laughs> On two plus with reroll wounds, yeah, I can see why yeah. they said no to that. But it does mean Fighting that... Twice. It does kind of suck into damage reduction, because that means you can't go back up yeah. to damage three. You're stuck at damage mm -hmm. two. But, I mean, everyone else has to spend two command points to get to damage two against damage reduction, so. Oh, for sure, yeah. You win some, you lose some. Uh, and it's important to note that there's a slight uptick in its profile, too, that not only is it flat three damage, it's also strength plus two instead of plus one, like the generic kiss. So being mm -hmm. just that base strength five, like you were talking about before, is really important and really great for trading, not only into infantry, but to a lot of vehicles as well. Unless I'm mistaken, all of our, all three of our relic melee weapons are strength five, is uh, one of their key bonuses. I believe you are correct. So next up, we're going to talk about the other generic melee weapon. That's going to be the Storied Sword. 
So the storied sword will be replacing a uh, Eldari power sword, and it has the uh, profile of strength plus two, AP three, flat two damage, with the ability each time an attack is made with this weapon, that attack automatically hits the target. So it's a flamer pistol. Cool. Um, being strength five is great, as we just mentioned, talked about. This one has the adverse flip flop of being a flat two damage instead of flat three, but with the additional AP of minus three. Um, this kind of balances out the some of the. Th this really is kind of the other side of the coin to the to the uh, the Kegarax Rose. Yeah. Because being flat AP three really shores up a lot of that penetration power that light or twilight might be missing as opposed mm -hmm. to dark and still leaves you that accessibility to up the damage on the weapon if you need to to really shore up that damage output and even in dark being strength 5 ap4 is scary absolutely yeah. scary now automatically hitting when you're hitting on twos anyway is it's good and especially if we're going into something that's going to be having minus ones to hit in combat it's you know, really it, you know it's that's good. that's a 33, you, you, that's a, you go from 66% of hits to 100% of hits. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So th this, this relic is super, super useful. And I, I still tend to lean into the rose a little bit more compared to the sword, but the sword is definitely sitting at the same table as the rose as far as power level and as far as utility's sake. If you're running like a really melee-focused army, if you want to have two just beater troop masters, there's not much of a reason not to take this thing on it. Yeah, I mean, in Twilight, you do have the Twilight Fang, which is generally better. Mm -hmm. But if you're light or dark and you want two troop masters, you want this baby. Oh, it also... Yeah, absolutely. I love... This actually, this is the one I thought I was thinking of. So, I like the Rose's flavor text, but this flavor text... Let me just get to the end here, all right? An exquisite mm -hmm. and perfectly weighted weapon. The storied sword has a star metal blade and a tooled wraithbone grip. Which is weird, because wraithbone didn't exist before the fall. As we'll see, that's important. <laughs> At least I don't... I mean, it must have existed, but, like... Why is it wraithbone, then? They didn't have wraiths back then. This is... I don't get me started on things in Eldar that don't make sense with the fall, okay? This is a pet peeve <laughs> of mine. Anyways... Inscribed upon the sword in minute script is the entire tale of the fall of the Eldari, as narrated by the Shadow Seers. As the, so this thing, this thing's like, you know, that your name on a grain of rice. This is the entire fall yeah. on a sword. Yep. It's like, like, Lord of the Rings thinks it has swords with cool writing on it. No, this is the sword with writing on it. <laughs> yeah. As the wielder of this weapon fights, they find their mind filled with images of that terrible time. Impossible psychic snapshots of the greatest tragedy ever to befall the race. Really the greatest tragedy to ever befall the galaxy, as far as we know. Driven mm -hmm. into a killing fray. Fury, not fray. Fury by the horrors they have seen. The wielder, also horrors, because, you know, the fall. The wheel <laughs> wielder fights off the Sorry. That was a really bad joke. <laughs> Good. The wielder fights all the harder, determined to prevent any such terrible events from transpiring ever again. So they just like, they're like, forgive me, master. This time I must <laughs> go all out because they, but like, they ramp up to that. Like they don't go all, they just like go crazy, battle crazy. They refuse yeah. to ever let bad things happen. Nothing bad will happen on their watch. They are the Batman mm -hmm. of Harlequins. Except that's a solitaire, I guess. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of overlap with Harlequin characterization, but in a cool way, because it's all just like these guys mm-hmm. are really edgy and badass, but not too edgy. They're normal edgy, not 40k edgy, which I think distinguishes them a lot in a nice way. Anyways, this yeah. has been a lot of lore story time, and we don't normally do lore story time, <laughs> but I thought it would be fun to start integrating some, uh, uh, some bits of this in. So uh, let's go back up now. Returning to alphabetical, crescendo. Would you like, I will do the flavor text and you can do the weapon. Yeah, sure, go for it. The masterwork shuriken pistol was first bestowed upon a troopmaster of the Veiled Path. Supposedly, it was given as a gift by a wanderer of the webway, who members of that mask claim was none other than the Laughing God. While many doubt the word of the Veiled Path in this, there can be no denying that Crescendo is a beautifully crafted and uniquely potent firearm. When the pistol's trigger is pulled, micro-distortion engines engage within its housing. The effect is to step Crescendo's wielders slightly, wielder slightly ahead of time, allowing an impossible volley of firepower to be unleashed. So this person is literally, they're like, they're not bending the bullets, they're traveling straight up in time to make sure their mm-hmm. shots hit. And that is, yeah. anyone who's familiar with like, SFF knows that's generally about as OP as you can get is time travel. It's like <laughs> being able to read the future and aim your gun that way. Like that is like the ultimate power in Mistborn, for example. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's this is just an OP power. And it is an OP pistol. Like, it is the best pistol in the game. Read me these, read me this beautiful stat line. It's disgusting. So Crescendo has its 12 inch range, which is standard for pistols. I couldn't really ask for much more. Um, Type is pistol six. <laughs> flat six. Like, not D6, just you get six shots, which is g- good. Um, base strength four, AP three, flat two damage, which is nice, with the shuriken rule. So anytime you're rolling a wound roll of six with this thing, you're doing AP minus five. That's a pistol. fire prism. And it's a six on the wound roll, so you are wounding. So, like, yeah. literally, you are taking a one plus to a six plus. Like a metaphorical yeah. one, a two plus one. So you're taking, you, you fire at a regular Marine in light cover with the new armor of Contempt Rule, and suddenly they have a six plus save because you rolled a yeah. six. And you can favor of Kegarak to get that if you want. You can just be mm-hmm. like the world's most badass pistol wielder. This, I, yeah. lo- I, I, I want to justify putting this in my list more because it seems really killy. Like, Mm-hmm. Strength 4, AP 3, D2, that's plenty killy once you add in the shuriken roll. And you're hitting on twos because it can only go on a Shadow Seer or a Troop Master. So if you want I was just going to say, I'm really masters, tempted to put this on a Shadow Seer. Yeah, like uh, the only problem I have with putting it on a Shadow Seer is I feel like Tyranids make me take. Uh, like, if Tyranids' mortal wounds output goes down, I'll you're probably right. bring Crescendo. Yeah. But. Because as you'll yeah. see, right we now Shadow Seer is knee the eye. We have exactly one mortal wound defense in the entire. We have two. One. Technically two, but. The psychic meh. power we covered last time, which was. Well, yeah. okay. Last time, which is a six plus <laughs> yeah. feel no pain in general, but we'll get to. Mm. Uh, there's a better one. Uh, wow, there are. I kind of hit. They put all the relics together, so I have to scroll through all the craft world relics. <laughs> so the next one, alphabetically, since it's how you're going, is actually the Laughing God's Eye. Oh! Well. There's so many T's here, because they're all the. I know, they're all the. Alright, the Laughing God's Eye. A pendant of rune-carved wraithbone. This pony's artifact is said to draw the watchful eye of Kegarak himself. Psychic powers flicker and die in the pendant's presence. 
for the laughing god will not suffer his children to be beset by the tendril of the warp. This aura of abnegation. Okay, abnegation? I don't think that's a real... That's... Isn't that anti... Isn't that unnegation? How does that... that that's not... That word is wrong, okay? <laughs> you can't be abnegated. Extends not only to the appendant's wearer, but billows like a concealed, concealing cloak to shield nearby allies. So does Kegarak watch over his followers, guarding them from the predation, predations of she who thirsts. So yeah, besides the fact that I'm pretty sure GW accidentally double negative the word a negative there, literally a Actually, negative. It is a real word. Really? Yeah. Huh. It is the act of renouncing or rejecting something. But that's that's dumb. <laughs> Bad English language. Bad. <laughs> okay. Um, I do see, by the way, what you mean about the pop filter. Like my uh, mm -hmm. my my. There's like uh, the, the, my waves are no. My waveforms are no longer symmetric, buddy. And I blame you making mm -hmm. me buy this pop filter. You're welcome. <laughs> so what does the laughing god's eye do? So, Laughing God's eye goes on a Harlequin model only. Shocker, I know. Um, the bear has the following ability. Laughing God's eye, which is an aura, while a friendly Harlequin's unit is within six inches of this model, each time a model in that unit would lose a wound as a result of a mortal wound, roll a d6. On a five plus, that wound is not lost. So you get a five plus, five plus shrug against mortals, which, as you were just implying, it's super useful against Tyranids right now. Yeah, and it's all mortals, so it's not just... Because some things are only mortals in the psychic phase. I don't know. Okay, mm -hmm. I say some things, but I think they've actually changed that. And in ninth edition, all abilities that were psychic phase only now work in all phases. Yeah. Because uh, I want to say the old Laughing God's Eye was five plus feel no pain against in psychic phase only. Or we had something like that. And uh, Custodes also uh, famously now have their FNP work in all phases. Mm-hmm. And so that's the big thing is like this works against other Harlequins who are trying to, you know, pop their stratagems to get your mortal wounds through. Or if you're getting bombed by harpies or uh, uh, sun sharks. Yeah. Um, there is just there, this, this relic, like you, you put this relic in the center of the board and you can potentially create like you, you are very hard to move once you throw in a shadow seer and all the other, you know, lightning fast reactions if you need it. And so on and so forth. It's redonkulous, guys. This relic is so good. Yeah, you're right. The old Laughing God's Eye was only in the psychic phase. Yeah. Phase... And it was also only on a six. Ugh. Oh my gosh, that was so bad. I forgot how bad that was. <laughs> yeah. And we already had a six plus feel no pain psychic power. Jeez. Yeah, right? That is Th bad. That was not restricted to the psychic phase. <laughs> All right. Star Mist Raiment, comma V. At first glance, there is little to distinguish the star-mist raiment from a typical hollow suit, save that it is woven through with gossamer-thin strands of what look like liquid silver. Yet when the wearer moves, they are engulfed in a shimmering cloud of refract ref refracted <laughs> starlight you got it. <laughs> that blinds and confuses the foe. This effect is magnified when the wearer moves quickly. The blurred glow swelling to become a blazing corona, almost impossible to see through. So does the wearer mimic Alos, the heavenly star flung by Kegarak himself, that smote Val's treacherous assistant, Gavil, and blinded him for his deceits. Now, who is Gavil? Nobody knows. He, as far <laughs> as I know, exists only in this flavor text. Um, hmm. So it's actually cool. We got 
uh, we got at least a little bit of new lore to the best of my knowledge this time. Because um, huh. early eighth, early ninth edition codexes literally had no had little to no new lore whatsoever. Like famously, the new Catan shard literally had its only lore tidbits taken out of the ninth edition codex when they made from the old eighth edition codex. It had no lore, not even new lore. Literally zero mentions in the fluff of the ninth edition yeah. codex, even though it had a brand new model. The only thing they added was a little bit about the Silent King. And, like, mm -hmm. I think uh, Space Marines got, like, one or two tidbits about some of the new Primaris units they had. And, yeah. like, Drukari, I don't think, got anything, for example. Um, yeah, it was pretty bad. So, like, especially since Harlequins have the least lore of any major faction. Well, okay. Technically, squats have the least lore. <laughs> but... <laughs> they don't have any... Mo they have Necromunda models only right now, okay, guys? They haven't gotten mm -hmm. a chance to surpass us in lore. But they will. They will. Just wait. They're going to get... We haven't seen a lot of tie-in novels lately, but I think squats are going to get some tie-in novels. And I'm going to read the crap out of those. I'm so excited. Anyways. Hell yeah. What does the Starmus Raymond do? Because I mentioned it's similar to a uh, fractal, but it is. So each time an attack is made against the uh, against the bearer, it also goes on any Harlequin unit, not any specific character. So um, each time an attack is made, you cannot reroll the hit or wound roll for that attack. So similar to as we talked about with Fractal Storm. Also, once per battle in your command phase, you can declare that the bearer will mimic Alos. If you do so until the start of your next command phase, the bearer has a three plus invuln. So, this trades off the ability to not reroll damage, which, as we talked about, is nice, but negligible, for getting a one-turn 3++. plus plus. The disadvantage is you have to know when to pop it, but if you're playing, yeah. like, Star Mist Rift, you know, you're, you di you're going in turn 2 or 3. Like, you know when you're going mm. in. So you just pop this baby, and you go hard in the paint. Yeah. And it's beautiful. You're Absolutely. doing mortal wounds, they don't reroll against you, you are very hard to kill. With a 3+, plus, and then you can have a Solitaire with a 3++, plus plus, and a Troopmaster with Fractal, and somebody else. And the yep. Solitaire can be minus 1 to hit. You can Lightning yep. Fast Reaction somebody for a fourth character who's hard to kill once you count Fractal, Star Mist, and... Like, you can... The number yeah. 4 comes up a lot when it comes to, like, 4 <laughs> fast characters, 4 hard-to-kill characters, 4 hard-hitting hit characters. You'd be surprised, guys. Like, that is, I feel like, the magic number of characters... For Harlequins, I'm not sure about in soup, because the solitaire is a big command point eater. He just eats yeah. all your command points, and I prefer to. I mm -hmm. usually throw those on fire prisms when I soup. But like, if I could justify the command points, I would throw him in because he's a good. He scales pretty well with command. Like, throw seven command points at that guy, and he's killing. Uh, he's killing the greatest demon prince of all time. Statistically. Yeah. Actually, I think he leaves him on one wound statistically, but we'll ignore mm. that. <laughs> but the raiment is a real nice piece of equipment, as you, do, as you were just mentioning, for survivability. And being able to get your characters into the fray as quick as possible and leave them there is extremely valuable. Because, you know, we talked about it ad nauseum at this point, but we have so many units that need to be dealt with. You know, you can't just leave a troop master out there wreaking havoc in your opponent's back line. You can't just leave an Aurobot Shadow Seer sitting in the middle of the board protecting and buffing the rest of your army. These things need to be dealt with, and creating these little sticky situations makes it very difficult for your opponent to handle them. 
Uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, instead of being cagey and defensive, you have the suit of hidden knives, which is very aggressive and very aggro focused. Yeah. So you want to tell us about that one? This is this is the key ingredient in the knife ghoul build for Twilight. But uh, mm -hmm. here's the here's the fluff, baby. The remarkable hollow suit contains a subweave. Oh, I love this one. This one is so cool. Contains a subweave of psychocrystalline blades that flicker in and out like razor sharp fans as they fight. For most beings, wearing such a thing would be a death sentence. For the perfectly Poised harlequins, it is a thrilling challenge and a potent weapon, allowing them to slice and stab their enemies with every weave, dodge, and pirouette they perform. So this guy, literally, you're just, like, trying not to kill yourself while you wear the suit. And then accidentally yeah. killing all those around you. It's like... Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just... That... I mean, like, <laughs> like, your suit's trying to stab you, so you, like, spin so it stabs your opponent instead. Yeah. <laughs> In 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 eighth edition, this would be one of those things where it's like roll a four plus and take a mortal wound at the end of the turn or something. But they don't do that anymore, mm -hmm. thankfully. Usually speaking, so there's no downsides to this because mm -hmm. Harlequins are too cool for that. You know, they're they're all they're too cool for that. But their opponents not so cool. So what does it do to them? So, again, Harlequin model, so any character can take it. At the end of the fight phase, the bear can make three additional melee attacks. These, these attacks cannot target titanic units. When resolving these attacks, each time a hit is scored, the target suffers one mortal wound and the attack sequence ends. So, unless the opponent has minus one to hit, if they have minus one to hit, you're dealing on average two mortal wounds to them. And if mm -hmm. they, but the trick is you have to survive to the end of the fight phase. That is the downside. Yes. Because sometimes with Harlequins, you're charging in and you're either killing or dying. So. <laughs> yeah, it's important to say that it is the end of the fight phase, not the attack sequence. So you can only trigger it once per turn. And it has to be at the end of everything that's said and done. So if your character is stuck there and caught up in, you know, in the muddy of a combat situation, you might not get to use this at the end of combat. Yeah, there's definitely some, uh, some some potential downsides. That's all our relics, right? Except for the status. That is all our relics. Our yeah, our non-status specific ones, at least. Yeah, that's all of them. All right. So real quick, we're gonna go over the status rules because these are uh, these are very specific. So I'll try yes. to explain some nuance as we go. First, if your army is battleforged, status units and harlequins detached on scan access to the following status rules, providing every status unit in your army following a status is following the same status. So, currently that, that restriction largely is not, doesn't matter outside of maybe Apocalypse. Basically, you get status as long as you're mono sub-faction. Yep. You can't mix light and dark, but you can't do that in the current GT pack anyways. Yeah. If every Sadith unit in a Harlequin's detachment is following the same Sadith, that detachment is referred to as a Sadith detachment. All Sadith units in a Sadith detachment... So, all Sadith units in a Sadith detachment will gain a Sadith characterization. Note, even though it says all the way it's worded, you think you'd get it even if you were a mixed army, you don't even get access mm -hmm. to this rule unless you're pure light or pure dark in the first place. So yeah. even if you're not playing GT missions, you don't you don't unlock access to the state of characterization rule in the first place, as I understand it, unless everybody is following the same state. And no, solitaires mm -hmm. don't break this, webway gates don't break this. Correct, yeah. And not neither do craft ones. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, Anari doesn't break this because Anari is not a sadith. That's important. That's true. Uh, 
Warlord traits. Each Sadith has an associated Sadith Warlord trait. If a Sadith character model gains a Warlord trait, it can have the relevant Sadith Warlord trait. Um, this isn't a, this just basically it confirms that you can't take, like, a light Warlord trait on a, a Nari character, basically, is the only restriction. Mm -hmm. Realistically. Gotcha. Okay. Each Sadith has an associated Sadith stratagem. If your army includes a Sadith detachment, excluding auxiliary support detachments, then you will gain access to the relevant Sadith stratagems. This is a pretty standard uh, stratagem unlock requirement. Yep. I don't think there's anything special here. That's standard. All right. Mm -hmm. Lastly, relics. Each Treasures of the Eldari Relics. Each Sadith has an associated Sadith Treasures of the Eldari Relic. If your army is led by a Harlequin Sadith Warlord... You can when mustering your army. Note, your warlord has to be the Sadith. So if you're like... Yes. You can't take uh, the ghoul mask, I think it is, in on a Shadow Seer if you have a traveling player's detachment and your warlord is a Surion. A Farseer or whatever, yeah. yeah. When mustering your army, give the relevant Sadith relic to a Harlequin Sadith character model from your army instead of giving them a treasures of the Eldari relic. Note that some relics replace one of the model's existing items of war gear. Where this is the case, you must, if you are using points value, still pay the cost of the war gear that is being replaced. That's just standard. They're just telling you how yep. it works. Uh, write down any treasures of the Eldari relics your models have on your army roster. Once again, standard. Um, yep. Oh! We still have... We still... We have more. The, even the sated staff flavor text. I... That's cool. <laughs> All right. The cool sated. The dark, dark deeds is their uh, sub-faction uh, ability bonus title. Troops of the Dark are characterized by violent endings and villainous antagonists. Their players delight in portraying the less desirable side of the Eldari, often manifesting out of the very shadows and plunging their blades deep. Even as they are slaying, these players exact cackling revenge upon their slayers. Their departing soul said to steal away that of their foe as both are released together. These guys are the edgy boys, and I love them. They're like, <laughs> I was not an edgy fan very much as a, by the time I got to like yeah. 14 or 15, I was like, I was, that was so, you know, 12 year old edgy. But now I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, these guys are like, they just, they, they're the villains. They're, are we the baddies? And they say, yes, yeah. we are the baddies, and we like it. Mm hmm. So uh, what do the baddies do exactly? So it says, Each time a model with this characteristic is destroyed by a melee attack, if that model has not fought this phase, do not remove it from play. The destroyed model can fight after the attacking model's unit has finished making attacks and is then removed from play. So it gives it the ability to, you know, fight on death. So even if your model hasn't fought yet, at the end of the combat sequence, it will fight and then get removed from play. In addition, each time a model with this uh, characterization makes a melee attack, improve the armor penetration characteristic of that attack by one. So in addition to that, they get an additional AP on all their melee attacks, which we alluded to before when we talked about stuff like the storied sword. All of your melee weapons get a bonus AP. All super of them, useful. including relics. That's a big deal. Yep. Yep, super useful. Makes dark extremely killy in close combat. Yeah, you've got an army of Wolfen with plus one AP. It's just nasty, man. Yep. Space Marines hate it. They're just like, so I shoot you and you pop out of your Shar Weaver. I charge you and then you <laughs> kill me anyways. Like, yep. what you gonna do? 
there's just such an inevitability that comes with dark because you're getting that extra AP to chew through armor. You know, you're effectively negating armor attempt, which is great. Mm -hmm. And you, you're guaranteed to fight. So no matter what happens, as long as you get in combat, you're doing damage, you're taking something with you. And when each player has a base four attacks, you're taking a lot of stuff with <laughs> you. You are. And an important thing to note here, the only way around this, once your opponent has declared you as a charge target, is to kill you with mortal wounds or bonus damage in the charge phase itself. You do not get to charge, yep. fight, if you were killed. Technically, if they could do melee attacks in the charge phase, yes. But I don't know of any unit that does that. They just do bonus mortal wounds on the charge. So mm -hmm. when they do that, they kill you potentially. I've I've had I've lost characters and been very annoyed when I didn't get a fight on death. So that is the thing. <laughs> you got to be careful about that. All right, light blaze of light. These are the loser heroes. Uh, they're all cool and heroey and uh, good is lame as Dark Helmet would say. I mean, I don't think these guys really portray themselves as the good guys. <laughs> Um, so it doesn't say that anymore, but they used to. They're just the speedy boys. They used to be the good guys. Their lore has changed. But they were, good. in the old codex, they were described as basically playing the heroes. They were the mm -hmm. heroic types. Mm -hmm. As I understood it. Maybe I'm wrong and I misremember. But I could have sworn they were the opposite of Dark, quite literally. Dark was the villains, and these guys were the, like, unabashed heroes. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Light. Their uh, army bonus is called Blaze of Light. Masks led by a troop of the light move at great speeds through their ar enemy in a storm of bright light and color, dazzling their perceptions and flickering out of view again. So now they're literally light. They're like, mm -hmm. they're like, uh, like, you know, beams of light, photons, however you want to describe that. These are the new soaring spies we covered in episode one. These are the new soaring spies. You want to, uh. Yeah, so Light pretty much kind of amalgamized Soaring Spite, and I believe it was Veiled Path at the at that time. It kind of amalgamized the two of them into one, one neat little package, and it says, Each time an attack is made against a unit with this characterization, if the attacking model is more than 12 inches away, an unmodified hit roll of 1, 2, or 3 for that attack automatically fails, irrespective of any ability that the weapon or the model making that attack may have. So, as long as you're outside of 12 inches, Anything that hits you on a 1, 2, or 3 misses. End of conversation. Super duper, use, super duper useful. In addition, each time a unit with this characterization makes a normal move or advances in your movement phase, uh, in your following shooting phase, that unit counts as having remained stationary. Now, this is actually a bit of an upgrade. It's actually a very significant upgrade from what Soaring Spite used to be, because all that said was that we treated pistols as assault weapons, and assault weapons could advance and shoot without penalty. This includes all weapons, namely heavy weapons. So heavy weapons now say that you can still advance and shoot without penalty, and that is super useful for Void Weavers in particular with the Prismatics, but even Shuriken Cannons and soon-to-be, you know, Haywire Cannons, if we start using those again, super, really important to keeping light being speedy, moving, doing damage from all angles. Yep. Uh, they are the mobile ones. They go the fast. Yeah. They are the fast, man. That's what made light. Uh, it's what made light void weaver so potent in my book. I mean, the the trans mm -hmm. hitman, as we call it, the inability yes. to be hit on one, two, and three is great. But the the real potency of void weavers being able to be at that maximum range of what was it like forty eight inches or fifty eight inches? Yeah, fifty eight inches away, and still on your turn, 
find that that kill shot from anywhere across the board because you move your 22 with your advance and then you have a 36 inch range with your prismatic cannons you just can't hide from that there's nowhere that is safe also with trans hitman you're much better at foot blobs than um uh say dark because dark has trouble delivering their foot blobs yeah light has that insurance policy as long as you're outside 12 inches you know charge range you are you know effectively you know you're, uh, I mean, you're only getting hit 50% of the time. You're only getting hit on four, fives, and sixes. Which, don't get me wrong, if you're getting hit, you're you're probably dying anyway. <laughs> but a lot of things with the with the potency of hitting on even twos and threes nowadays, that's a really big buff to our defenses, even just for foot troops. Yep, and that that leads us to Twilight. All right, this one's kind of they are Twilight Falls for their army bonus. Standing forever on the threshold between life and death, the players of the Twilight are synonymous with maintaining the natural order, preventing evil spirits from bedeviling the living. These are uh, the Frozen Stars ones, except way better. Yep. They've been updated to uh, the new style of plus one attack. So yes. why don't you explain that? <laughs> so each time a unit with this characterization fights, if it made a charge move, was charged, or performed a heroic intervention this turn, that unit, um, th- uh, then uh, that unit is resolved. Add one to the attack characteristic of models in that unit. So as long as it charges, was charged, or heroically intervenes, it gets plus one attack back combat. Super duper useful. Really helpful. In addition, each time a model with that characterization makes a pile in or consolidation move, it can move an additional two inches. So there's going to be a lot of tricks that uh, Twilight can can maintain where they're bouncing in and out of combat, back and forth, kind of pinballing off of enemy units, keeping themselves moving. And with all those extra charges, you get an additional attack to shore up that killing potential. And then, as I said, pinballing over to your next target. Yeah, if you've got the skills and the aptitude for it, I think Twilight might actually be the most powerful overall. Now that uh, Goldweavers have uh, been nerfed. And uh, that actually brings us into each Sadith gets a Relic and a a Warlord trait. And a stratagem. Yeah. So, um, Dark. We'll go through them first. Uh, They get Mm -hmm. the Ghoul Mask. Uh, Let me, I think it's just Ghoul Mask. Let me find it. Hang on. Um, I'll I'll read read the ability while you you dig it up, and then you can get to the flavor text. Um, So it, it can go in a Dark model only, but any Dark model. It says, in your opponent's psychic phase, the bearer can attempt to deny one psychic powers if it were a psyker. If the bearer is a psyker, the bearer can attempt to deny one additional psychic power in each of your opponent's psychic phases. So, gives every character the ability to deny one. If you put it on a Shatter Seer, she can deny one more. Uh, the bear has the following ability, Hideous Form, which is an aura. While an enemy unit is within three inches of this model, that unit loses the objective secured ability. Just straight up takes objectives secured away. That makes uh, Shadow Seer sitting on objectives very important targets because no matter how many enemy models you have sitting on that on that objective, one troop, one player claims it. It it is it is theirs now. Not only that, but uh, you can heroically intervene up to six inches with one infantry, so one character mm-hmm. can uh, guarantee they can touch anyone. Because uh, the orc version is the only version that's better against obsec than ours. Uh, mm-hmm. Old versions are targeted. Our version yes. is AOE. The orc version doesn't give you the psychic bonus, but it does give you six inches of anti-obsec. Yeah. So it's a, but it's also similar to ours, only available to one group of orcs, the freebooters. So, yep. and their whole gimmick is obsec. They add obsec, they take it away, they do all kinds of stuff. Uh-huh. That's like their, one of their two gimmicks. 
Well, with yeah, Wool Mask, you get a mix. Because, like, Shadow Seers, one of their downsides is they only have one deny. So, again, Psychic Heavy Armies, being able to go up to realistically three denies in an army is pretty good. Yeah. And uh, so our flavor text... The tale of the six spirits describes how Kegarak drove away the malign ghosts of the warp by twisting his features into that which each feared most, banishing those whose own weapon was feared. The hideous ghoul mask embodies that victory, its surface woven with psycho-circuitry that rapidly assesses the impure composition of hostile psychic manifestations and banishes them. So this is just like... It's just like... Like a mask that goes boo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Cool. So moving on to the Light Shadow Stone. Yes. Um, do you have the text ready? You want me to read the ability first? You read the ability first. Okay. So this can only go on a Shadow Seer, but you'll see why in just a second. That it adds three inches to the range of any auras the ability, uh, any aura abilities that the bearer has. That includes, you know, um, Veil of Illusion. That includes any other sort of uh, upgrades you might have. That includes your relics, because those are all t- uh, keyword aura abilities. In addition, each oh, and that's up to a maximum of nine inches for what it was for what it's worth. And it also says each time the bearer successfully manifests a psychic power from the Phantasmancy discipline, add three inches to the range of that power's effect. So you blow out all your psychic powers by three inches. You blow out all your auras by nine inches. This really allows the Shadow Seer, especially I mean obviously in light, but especially in light when you're maximizing that ability to maintain veil of illusions, to maintain shield from harm. That allows it to keep it from you know keeps your your castle safe as it's advancing up the board. Blowing out that aura gives you an effective six inches extra range for your auras because it adds three inches to each side. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of coverage. And it's even more when it comes to area because going from six inch radius to nine inch radius, I mean, that's uh, mm-hmm. there's a pi r, there's a squared there. Yeah. They're, they're smart people math in there that I'm not, a, yeah. I'm not very fluent in, but <laughs> it, it adds a lot. I mean, three inches is not just three inches when you're talking about aura abilities. That adds a lot of coverage to this uh, to this model. And I, I still find it really, really worth taking in light. Um, it's, you know, especially with the data slate changes, there's some things that are a little bit harder, harder to balance around now, but I still think the, the Shadow Stone is 100% worth it. Like I said, just like, even just having shield from harm and having that blown out to nine inches for the minus one to wound aura, keeping that keeping everything minus one to wound is so important for keeping yourself alive. All right, yep. And here's the. I agree. Shadow Stone is awesome. I uh, that's actually one of the my main regret is dark is I don't get the Shadow Stone. I think that was smart though, making a light only relic. It really like. Uh huh. They did a really good job overall. They put our arguably our some of our very strong. They put they they balance relics stratagems. I, I, yep. They did a great job. <laughs> it's very evenly dispersed throughout yes. the status and throughout accessibility. They really didn't front load any one specific status to be like, oh, this is the correct one. End of conversation. Yep. So uh, the flavor text for the Shadow Stone says the opalescent gem sh- shifts endlessly between the shades of dawn, dusk, and darkest night. Gazing into its depth, the Shadow Seer bears witness to the innermost secrets of all those close by. So it's uh, they're peeping toms, yo. <laughs> don't don't think naughty thoughts around a shadow seer with the shadow stone, okay, guys? 
so the last faction-specific relic we have is the Return of the Twilight Fang. Now, this, this relic was very divisive back in 8th edition because this was far and away the best relic in, 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 our, in our codex, in our, our post-chapter proof, or post-Psychic uh, Awakening codex, rather. This thing, and it, it maintained the same profile for what it's worth, but the gap has been significantly closed in what other relics we want to take, especially for offensive capabilities. But it's a its power remain the same. Where it's it, has, it can only go into Troop Master that has either a power sword or uh, oh actually this is just a power sword now. It used to be a power sword or Eldari blade, but now it's just power sword. Interesting. Um, but it says now that it is a melee weapon with strength plus two, AP three, flat two damage, just like the storied sword before, just like what Twilight Fang was last edition. But each time the bear fights, until uh, that fight is resolved, add the current battle round number to the attack characteristics of the bearer. So whatever round you're in, whatever turn you're in, you add that number of attacks to this model. So base 6, if you're in combat turn 1, goes to 7. If you're in combat turn 5, goes to 11. And you're twilight, so it might be 12 for the plus yeah. 1. Yeah, oh that's true too, yeah, because you're getting the plus 1 on the charge, yeah, so. The flavor text, I don't believe has... Previous, this is another one that I don't think had flavor text before, and this is great. So, uh, during the tale of the serpent's gift, Kigarak is said to have tricked the cosmic serpent into gifting him one of its fanes in the mistaken belief that it would receive the light of the brightest star in return. So it did, yet as the star set, so the light faded, and the cosmic serpent realized that it had been fooled. Its wrath grew more terrible as the star's light slipped away. So it is with this blade, said to be fashioned from the very long fa very fane that the laughing god stole. As the hour grows ever later and the battle's crescendo draws nigh, so the blade flashes ever faster through the air, chased by shuddering shadowy, shuddering shadowy after images that solidify suddenly into their own stabbing fanes. So that's pretty cool. It's, it's a sword that... Yeah has its own backup swords. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. A lot of our stuff is... A lot from. of our relics are basically weapons that have extra stabby bits that come alongside, that come for free with the weapon. So yeah. they're like, what if we put a sword, smaller swords, on our sword? Or like, <laughs> shadow swords that followed our sword around. Like, they're all very... Sh Harlequins are all about maximum stabbiness when it comes to these relics. Yeah. Okay. Wola traits. Uh, dark, want to start? Can we just so, start off with it? Player of the dark. Those who lead troops of the dark portray the most cruel and macabre personalities. And their violent acts exist as vivid living nightmares in the folklore of the Eldari and their enemies alike. They're pretty badass, is the point. Yeah. So, the player of the dark warlord trait says, Each time this model, or this warlord, makes a melee attack on an unmodified wound roll of 5+, the target suffers one mortal wound in addition to any normal damage. So, it's just adding a blade of mortal wounds onto the damage you're already doing. And as you've talked about before, it's really useful on stuff like uh, like Rose Queens that are already fishing for those 5-pluses. So, you're ignoring invulns, you're doing additional mortal wounds, you're doing flat damage. It really compounds just how many models you can true through and how many characters you can mow down just by the, the, the pure weight of your rolls themselves. Okay, so this is where the player... Okay, player of the light. This is what I was talking about earlier. The heroic protagonist pauses briefly to strike a mocking pose, their enemies laying slain around their feet before disappearing again to continue their murderous dance elsewhere. So these guys are the, uh... They're the Buffy the Vampire Slayer making a quip. Mm-hmm. 
So this warlord trait says, this warlord is eligible to perform a heroic intervention if it is within 6 inches horizontally and 5 inches vertically of any enemy unit, instead of 3 inches horizontally and 5 inches vertically. Uh, each time this warlord makes a heroic intervention move, it can move up to 6 inches. All other rules for, for heroic intervention still apply. So it extends your heroic intervention range to 6 inches out of 3 inches. With all the caveats that, you know, the vertical inch stays the same, all the other rules still apply, so on and so forth. But it allows your warlord to heroic intervene 6 inches, which is great for forcing it into combats that your opponent didn't want them into. In addition, each time this warlord fights, if it makes a charge move or performs heroic intervention this turn, then until the fighter is resolved, add 1 to the strength and and attacks characteristics of this warlord so not only does it have the better uh, ability to get into those combats but once it is it is more potent therefore moving its melee weapons up to strength five or strength six if you're giving it a relic which you probably are and then a base set of seven attacks is going to be doing a whole lot of damage to somebody that didn't want to be in combat with him in the first place all right so this last one player of the twilight is a little different instead of putting this on a troop master you may want to put this on say uh Shadow Seer or a Death Jester, but uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting when you read it. the The text I think is less troop mastery as well. The leaders of mm -hmm. the Twilight see cycles of transition in everything, obsessing over each detail before revealing their true genius. It sounds very Shadow Seer, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> so it says while this warlord is on the battlefield, remember that does have to be on the battlefield, so that does not include embarked in transports, correct? Ah, uh, yes. Correct. Yeah. So it does actually need to be physically modeled on the table. Each time you or your opponent spend any command points to use a stratagem, you can roll 1d6 for each command point spent. On a 6, you gain one command point. So you can, you do have the opportunity to gain more than one command point, right? No. Well, kind of. No? It's okay. complicated. As a TO, I say no. And I don't remember okay. if this is... I don't think GW clarified this sufficiently. I don't think they even clarified it at all. But pretty much uh -huh. everyone I know is saying no from a TO perspective. It's just giving you multiple opportunities to get that one command. Yeah, like you're either gambling. Okay. Basically, you have two gambles. You're either gambling to get the command point or you're gambling mm -hmm. and and basically borderline guaranteeing your luck dice by rolling only two. Or yep. you're gambling on your luck dice by rolling four and then guaranteeing the command point. It's, it's... Well, that cues into the, into the second part of this warlord trait, which is webless warlord is on the battlefield. Each time you roll four or more dice for your luck of the laughing god roll, you gain one command point. So as you were just implying, you can keep it safe and roll two or maybe three luck dice and guarantee how many dice you're going to get out of that. Or you can try to high roll a little bit and roll four or more. And even if you don't get your luck dice, you get one command point for your troubles. So you're still effectively getting one free reroll or one free inexpensive stratagem or anything like that. And so it's still like a, almost a 30% chance to succeed when you roll four luck dice. So it's not the worst mm -hmm. chance. It's not like that. No, it's not. Like five or six would be ridiculous. But four is just mm -hmm. like, it's suboptimal, but it's not that suboptimal. It's definitely weaker, but it's not like terrible. So last piece we can touch on here will be our stratagem specifics for our sadists. First and foremost, I will start with the silken knife, which is the dark specific stratagem. So this says, use the stratagem at the start of your charge phase. Select one enemy unit. Until the end of the phase, each time that enemy unit is selected as the target of a charge by a dark unit, that enemy unit cannot fire overwatch or set to defend. So this is kind of a retranslation of what the stratagem was back in 7th edition, the 8th edition from um, uh, Silent Shroud. Yeah, but it's it's unique, though, because it targets an enemy instead of saying all enemies you charge can't 
Overwatch. Mm -hmm. So yes. there is some differences. And actually, I've used this. I used this literally yesterday in a game. I had a Dark mm -hmm. Shadow Seer and an Inari Troop. So the Dark Shadow mm -hmm. Seer had this activate, the Inari Troop, mm -hmm. and then the Shadow Seer charged. Easy charge, like three inches, four inches. So I basically shut down their Overwatch, and then I was able to get my troop in without having to fear Overwatch. Except yeah. then my opponent made the fatal mistake of being Ultramarines, and he Overwatched me, but that just gave me... He, he killed two players with blades, and then I gained the ability to... Uh, with his other units, because they have an old-school Tau-style stratagem, uh, yeah. to Overwatch with nearby units. And, um, but... As a Nari, you're okay losing one or two players because that means everybody starts yep. hitting on twos. It's pretty. It's pretty good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. So, um, yeah, the Silken Knife has some subtlety, especially in soup, because it's only dark units that charge that. That. Uh... Oh, it also yeah. disables set to defend, which can be useful for yep. you know they don't hit on twos all of a sudden or hit on threes. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. So even if they aren't preparing to Overwatch, if it's a if it's a unit that you don't particularly want to be in combat with, that you're like, I'm really not looking forward to the to the crackback, you can use this to make the set to defend, you know, I mean, useless, make it not happen. Yeah, because set to defend basically cancels out our native minus one to hit in melee. Well, if yeah. you if they can't set to defend, they can't cancel that out. So it's basically minus one to hit in melee or and no Overwatch or no Overwatch rather, because. Mm -hmm. And then um, here's the uh, here's the text, the flavor text. Masks led by players of the dark slip from the shadows into the heart of the foe with barely a whisper. Before their enemy, before the enemy are aware they are under attack, their bodies lie strewn as a gruesome tableau, which is pretty cool. Dark are just like <laughs> they're murderers. They're mur they put the murder in murder cloud. Okay, uh, uh, that is true. <laughs> So moving on to um, the light-specific stratagem, which, which is Capricious Reflections. This says, use the stratagem in your opponent's charge phase when a light unit from your army is selected as a target of a charge. If that unit is not within engagement range of an enemy unit, it can make a normal move of up to 6 inches. Until the end of the phase, that unit cannot fire Overwatch or set to defend. Your opponent can then select new targets for that charge. So basically it says, if you, just, if you uh, choose to charge anything in my army that's light, I can just pull it away six inches and effectively invalidate your charge. And think about how thematic this is. Dark and light have uh -huh. opposite stratagems. Yes. I love it. So <laughs> you you can you can pull it out of combat or out of effective combat. However, it can still be charged by something else. So if you if you got put in a really tight pincer where you're avoiding one charge, you can still be charged by something else and as a result not set to defend. But your opponent also has the ability to redeclare that initial charge to something else if there is another eligible target. So it's kind of useful for putting your... I mean, it's a bit of a gotcha stratagem because it's great for putting something that needs to be dealt with, like a blob of bikes or, you know, a, a set of players in, in center field, making your opponent commit to engaging into them and then just saying, lol, no, sorry, I'm leaving. And then you either leave your opponent stranded or force them to charge something else that maybe they weren't as keen to get into in the first place. And the fun part is you can still heroically intervene after you do this. So you can heroically mm -hmm. intervene the, any infantry that uses this or if you're, say, a player of the light who uses this, you just get a 6-inch heroic intervention afterwards. So that's a 12-inch threat range on your opponent's turn for getting into melee. That's, that's mm -hmm. pretty cool, I think. Yeah. There's there's offensive capability here too, not just defense. Just like the twilight, the dark one has some kind of mix of offense and defense. This one does too. You want to want to touch on the flavor text real quick? Yes. We, uh... 
To their foes, players in masks led by the light resemble nothing more than dazzling luminescence and color. So touching on again how they're just, you know, the embodiment of just light, which is which is super cool. Yeah, I like this characterization a lot more than just like cheesy heroes. Although I do like the yeah. fact that the player of the light makes a cheesy pose and probably a cool quip as he stands mm-hmm. upon the bodies before he runs off. Like that's just mm-hmm. I lo- that's 80s and sometimes I love that tiny a little bit of 80s is as a treat is fine. Yeah. <laughs> So moving on to our final stratagem, which is the Twilight-specific strat called Malicious Frenzy. The strat says, use this stratagem when a Twilight unit from your army is selected to fight. Each time a model in that unit makes an attack, an unmodified hit roll of 6 automatically wounds the target. Did they fix this? What do you mean, fix? Like, does it have an endpoint yet? Um... Because rules are written, it, it rules is written, it doesn't end. What do you mean? It's when they're selected to fight until those attacks are resolved. It finishes. Yes. Once those attacks no, are resolved, it, it finishes. It doesn't say that. On <laughs> uh, mine it does until those attacks are resolved. Okay, then I guess it was FAQ'd or updated, because it doesn't say that in the paper text. Okay, it could <laughs> also be... Yeah, it's it's probably one of those things. <laughs> it says that in the app, I promise. So they definitely fix it. No, I it. believe you. That That's why I'm asking. Because <laughs> in the paper text, it doesn't. it just says, you know, use it when, when, you're, when you're selected to fight. And then just from now on, each time an attack is made, a hit roll of six oh, no, is, it just, no, is automatically wounds. Use the yeah. stratagem when a twilight unit from your army is selected to fight. Until those attacks are resolved, comma, blah, 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 blah. So it yeah, does no, have it an endpoint say that in, in the paper text. Okay, <laughs> good. And, uh, yeah, that's awesome, especially because twilight is making... Yeah. Dude, that means one guaranteed wound at AP1 damage one against any... Tar- yep. Against, uh, I think, any target. There's no limits... Well, not literally guaranteed, but you're making six attacks with blades in Twilight. So that's one AP, mm-hmm. one damage, one wound statistically for every model minimum. Yeah. Even when wounding on sixes. So, like, you can you can force some damage in with big blobs with this. Yeah, that's important to note, too, that it is per crazy. model. Yeah. So even with big blobs, you're guaranteeing one, one shot per model, which is not nothing. Yeah. And, uh, you want to touch on that uh, flavor text before yeah, we close it down? Yeah, flavor text. Laughing like the lunatics, troops led by players of the Twilight channeled their hatred and hysteria into a burst of martial destruction. So they're just they're crazy murderers, man. They yeah. They, they I like like they're, 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 the the players of Twilight. The player of Twilight is all calm and ready, but the the little guys, the troops of Twilight, are like vicious murderers. They're just crazy, man. I mean, the name of the strat really hits it right on the head. It is just a malicious frenzy. Yep, and so uh, that's uh, that's our that's our main content. But we're gonna we're gonna tell you guys a little bit about what we're doing. And uh, yeah. as a warning, I'm going to uh, my first major uh, when we were when we would normally record uh, our next episode. So we're probably yeah. gonna record it early. But if things don't Hopefully. go well. Because I'm going to be moving the weekend before, so it's going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. And I may not. So, yeah, schedules are going to be crazy yeah. for the next week or two. So we may be a little late on our next episode, but uh, yeah, uh, we'll be keeping everything up to date and everything. Everybody in in the know on what's going on. We're going to do our absolute best to keep it going. But the next handful of weeks for us are going to be pretty crazy. But we're going to try to work our best ahead of time to make sure that's mitigated. But uh, as bonuses, uh, we're going to have a lot to discuss uh, whenever after the tournament. So I'm going to be able to bring you discussion about soup. Which may be the topic yeah. of our next uh, is souping. I don't know. We're gonna figure this out. We uh, we haven't actually mm. gotten that far. <laughs> no. Well, I, you and I talked about it briefly. I think that that's a really good place for us to go next. We still need to talk about all of our stratagems a little more. Yeah, in depth, and they. But that's yeah. We can do that whenever. 
But no, I, I like the idea of having soup being a, a point of contention for us to talk about in the future, and especially when you come back from your from your major. I'd love to hear about not only what you've gone through, you know, what, what you did, but how you feel about the, the soup meta going into yeah. or out of that tournament. Yeah, it's especially interesting because I have a Nari, I have an Inari troop in my list. Lists are locked. I have a 10-man Inari troop with uh, three mm-hmm. melee weapon upgrades and seven blades. I have yeah. three dark troops of five-man with all melee upgrades plus two fusion pistols. I have mm-hmm. um, Rift Ghoul Death Jester. I have uh, I Pandemonium Shadow Seer with just offensive spells because generally they're going to be casting War Ritual anyways for me. And uh, but they're yeah. the cool thing is the abilities for Harlequins, the auras, the spells are locked to uh, Sadith. The auras yeah. are not, so the aura is affecting mm-hmm. my Inari troop. Yep. So oddly, that Shadow Seer is mostly designed to support the Inari troop with five plus feel no pain and minus one to one. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that... Con- I think you and Matt were talking about it, I yeah. think. I remember seeing that conversation. Yeah, there was definitely some conversation on this about the Discord. And uh, there will probably be on the Discord, expect pictures of uh, maybe okay painting models. I'm going to be trying <laughs> uh, color-shifting metallics today. Ooh, so, nice. So uh, possibly some Xenothal for my contrast paints as well. We're going to see nice, what uh, nice. I can manage. <laughs> Very cool. So we're 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 excited to, yeah. We've got. What are your planning? What are your? You got any big plans for the next two weeks or things you worked on the past two weeks? You want to talk about? Um. So right now I'm just working on putting together and getting set up my last three, uh, Starweaver slash Voidweaver chassis. I'm not gonna be able to run all of them now since the the data slate changes. But now I have enough boats to conceivably run whatever list I plan to run. That was kind of the last linchpin in my model you know, inventory as it were. I have enough players to run virtually anything. I have literally too many bikes. I have, you know, every character I could conceivably need, but I only had six boats prior to our codex drop, so I I finally shored up my last six, so I have 12 now, so I can conceivably run whatever, even just like a meme list of something silly and ridiculous, I can do it now, so I'm working on putting those together, getting them painted, getting everything set up together, and still just trying to grind out my display board. You know, the the last couple weeks have been pretty busy for me, so I haven't had time to get stuff done, but I'm, I'm still working on it, and I'm still looking forward to it. I am looking forward to pictures of your display board. I'm hoping uh, yeah. we can start doing YouTube for this. We need to get our things formatted with, like, generic pictures for our first few episodes. Yeah. But at some point, we hope to do, like, for these last sections, maybe throw mm-hmm. some pictures into our... Pre- I don't know if we're going to throw them into uh, the description text, if we're going to do a YouTube video with some pictures at the end, how we're going to do that. But we do want to, yeah. you know provide some i want to maybe provide some written stuff mm-hmm. maybe some pictures i think batty would love yeah. to provide you guys some pictures so we're gonna Absolutely. we're gonna try to expand what we have available and uh ne- yep. by next time we may have a patreon up as well if you want to uh support the discord and uh the podcast uh yeah here's hoping yeah it turns out mics are less expensive than i thought but still painfully this was like 150 dollars <laughs> with tax for the setup so yeah <laughs> oh yeah, no, it ends up quick. All right, buddy, you ready to call it a call it a day? I think we can call it. This was great. Uh, we hope to. I hope to uh, see you guys on our Discord and get a chance to talk to you, or uh, see your pics on our subreddit, or both. Yeah. 
Also, for what it's worth, just pointing out now, because I just refreshed it as we're speaking, we hit the 500 download mark on Transistor yesterday. Yeah, that's... Which is super awesome. We're at, like, 630, I think that means total. So, but on our Total, main, yeah. Yeah. I, I literally just refreshed Transistor as we're talking about this, and see, we're at exactly 500. Nice. But... Yeah, no, that's super cool. Thank you, everybody. That's really awesome. But some people go watch, uh, I think it's episode three. That poor episode is at 100, is at less than 100 views, and I feel bad for it, okay? <laughs> that is the, that is, I thought that was going to be a cool episode, but then the data slate yeah. happened way earlier than expected, and like, right. nobody wants to hear about pre-data slate stuff, which I guess is fair. Yeah. Don't listen to it if you don't care about, like, the history of data slate and... <laughs> what we thought should have been changed. But if you do think that could be interesting, hey. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, Rob, I'll give you time to say some salutations, and we will see you all next time. Salutations. Take care, everybody.